Next Generation Innovators is recorded on the lands of the Wondery people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hello, I'm Alicia Stevenson, your host for this episode of Next Generation Innovators, a future women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. Each week, we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. Brooke is taking a break this week, so I have the privilege of having today's guest all to myself. Hannah Vazicek is the founder and designer behind jewellery label Francesca, which has stores in Melbourne and Hobart, as well as a thriving online side of the business. Hannah, welcome to Next Generation Innovators. Thank you and thanks for having me. Hannah, you have an absolutely beautiful story around growing up in a small town in rural New South Wales and then moving to Tassie. Can you tell us a little bit about your early love of jewellery and your entrepreneurial spirit from selling lollies on the bus and bring us all the way up to selling your first piece of jewellery at Tasmania's Salamanca Market? I grew up in rural New South Wales in a really small beach town and there really wasn't much to do there. So uh, it was around when I was 12 years old and started to commute to go to school. I actually had to travel two hours to and from school every day on a school bus. 20 hours a week and I really I think that was the first time that I saw an opportunity to be an entrepreneur so a lot of the kids got really hungry on the school bus and I saw an opportunity to sell lollies I started going to a wholesale lolly store uh, and buying a box of strips of lollies for $20 for 100 pieces went on the bus sold them for a dollar each and I'd profit about $80 a box every single week and I think I was selling like two or three boxes at one stage a week so I think that's the first time that I realized that you can really find something, you can market it, you can find your market and sell something at a higher price and make a business out of it. And when I was around 13 years old, my mum, I think I was one of those children that just didn't quite stop. And she took me to a beading store one day and was kind of, there you go, just go and let loose. And I started making jewelry and I absolutely loved it. Loved the fact that I could create something that someone could wear out of nothing. So I set up a little store outside the Bilo, which is kind of, I guess, an IGA in New South Wales. And I would sell my $5 earrings at like 13. And I'm sure, you know, most of the time it was like a charity purchase. But honestly, I just loved it. I went to school with like a shoebox full of earrings and bracelets and I'd I'd knock on the staff room door and literally wouldn't leave until they looked at my stuff and bought some. And then we moved to Tassie and it was like this massive city. And that was when I was, wow, the world is my oyster. And at 16, I actually approached a gallery down here in Salamanca, which was like a really famous part of, of Hobart. And I must have just looked crazy, but I just said to them, I said, look, this is my pieces. Do you want to stock me? And they actually did. And it was when they started selling out my pieces every single week and I was horrified to see that they put three or four times what I was selling to them on as the price tag and I was like, nah. I've got to cut these guys out. This is just not on. And at 16 was when I actually applied for the um, first stall down at Salamanca Markets. And originally, and a lot of the girls laugh now, the brand was called Handmade by Hannah. And my target market was like 60-year-old plus women. I did a lot of pearls, did a lot of feature necklaces and drop earrings and things like that. But, yeah, that was my market. And I remember the first stall that I had, 
I actually didn't get in. I was heartbroken. And this stall holder actually said, oh, you can set up a little card table off the side of my stall. And I did. But from the first necklace that I sold, I was just hooked. I was like, this is the best feeling in the world. So I'm 31 now. So 15 years ago was my very first stall down at Salamanca Markets. That's absolutely incredible. So you've already packed in a heap by the time you were 16. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) if we keep going from there, you were doing a science and law degree. And if I'm right, is it maths and physics? Yep. So I always wanted to be a doctor and it was actually in grade 12. um, My mum had a subarachnoid hemorrhage, like a brain aneurysm that burst. And we actually spent close to a year in the hospital with her every day. And amazingly, she recovered. Thank goodness. It was the first time that I actually reflected on whether or not that career was for me. And I'd see these doctors tag team and they were there every day and every night. And it was kind of like, do I want this as my life? Like, do I really want to spend every waking moment working? Now that I look back at it, I really did decide whether I wanted to work to live or live to work. And that was when I decided I wanted to work to live. And I basically said no to a a medicine offer and enrolled in the next best thing, as you said, which was science and law. At some point during that career, to bring the listeners up to speed, you decided that you were instead going to leave that and put all of your energy into growing this business, into growing Francesca, into what it is today. At what point in there was that decision made and what drove that decision? So I was 18 when I started law and it took me five years to really figure it out. I was doing the markets on the side. So I was so fortunate to be running my business at this stage one day a week. It was a fully fledged business. Like it was just me beating in my room and selling things on the weekend at the markets, but it really was something that was taking off. And I just loved it. It was about fifth year uni. And I just had this sinking feeling that I loved studying, but it didn't bring me joy. And then this series of events happened where I think the first thing for me was over the summer, I got a a law position in Sydney and it was for a month. And I would go into the office and literally bang out all of my work for the law job and then secretly be searching beading pages and like (laughs) jewelry pages, (laughs) like, and hoping no one would look over my shoulder. And never did it occur to me that I could do what I loved as a career. I think there's a lot more around entrepreneurship in schools and universities now, but I did not even think it was a thing. And so it wasn't until I was in a law lecture and it was a week before my final year exams and I opened this email just procrastinating from doing work and it was like congratulations you're in the top four of the global student entrepreneur awards and I was like what the heck I showed my friend next to me and I was like I don't even remember applying for this and yeah top five and sorry, top four. And they were like, yep, so next week you have to go to Melbourne and present the business to a panel of judges. And basically I just got on a plane, wrote my speech as to 
where I wanted the business to be and vision. I just dreamed big. I remember I did the Wednesday night, I did the MOOC, which is basically where I had to present to the court my final case. The next day I got on the plane, wrote my speech because I literally didn't think that I could even have a chance. And yeah, presented where I wanted at this stage Francesca to be. So two years prior to this, I had decided that I didn't like selling to 70-year-olds anymore and I wanted to sell to my age group. Francesca came out of basically me wanting to have more of a boutique brand where I could be a bit more fashionable, design things that are more on trend and kind of have something that's scaled. And there's a little bit of a story behind how we got to Francesca. But for fifth year law, I was sat there and I was like, okay, I'm going to present this dream. And I did. And then I won. And the prize was to be flown over to New York to present your business at the World Trade Center alongside 30 of the top entrepreneurs in the world. That was the first time that I thought, far out, maybe my little business is something. And it wasn't even winning that competition and going to New York with my make-believe business that kind of gave me that conviction. It was someone after I presented saying that, you know, you could actually have a big business one day. It was someone else that kind of gave me that, I guess, confidence. Isn't that interesting though, Hannah, that you refer to it as a make-believe business, but to be honest with you, the Salamanca market days, the supply and demand, everything that that encompasses is the beginnings of a fully-fledged business. And isn't it interesting how we never consider that in the early days? It almost takes some kind of sort of third party coming into it to explain to us that actually this is what a successful business is. This is how it starts and you are the person doing it. I think everyone has their journey and I think everyone struggles with that imposter syndrome. And unfortunately, it does sometimes take those people around you to really believe in you. And I think one of the biggest things that I struggled with is inside of me knew that I loved this industry so much and that I could have had a business. But I also did have a lot of people saying, you studied for five years, like what a waste. And I just knew that if I, similar to being a doctor, if I was to go down that law path, I wouldn't be time rich. And also, I just never wanted to say what if. So for the listeners, let's bring it all the way forward. If you can explain for me what Francesca Jewelry is now in terms of how many staff you have, stores, and then I'd really like to get into, I'd really like to stretch that diploma of business that you've done and really get into some of the specifics about the business of Francesca as it is now. So Francesca is actually not handmade by Hannah, which it used to be. When I was sitting on a beach one day with my girlfriend, I said, every big brand has one word and it has a really strong logo. And I said, oh, Francesca's the name mum wanted to call me. And that was it. So we've actually just signed our 60th employee. We've been so fortunate to have grown through COVID, which is something that I definitely didn't think would happen. And yeah, we've got a store in Hobart, which is our flagship store. And it's something that we have always seen as our base and our heart. We have a store in Melbourne, which is in Melbourne Central. And that was a big jump for us to go across the sea and open a store there. And then we have a store online. So we're shipping internationally. Online has just been absolutely huge. And that's just such a saving grace through COVID especially. We design and um, make jewellery, which we think gives meaning to people's lives. So often we have so many stories that come in 
the reasons why people buy these pieces and the meaning that all of our pieces bring to people. That's really the heart of our brand. And we also believe that success doesn't mean anything unless we're giving back. And there's a little bit of a story behind sort of how we basically launched that into our business. And that's something that I think has really been a driver for us. We didn't want to just sell jewellery. So in the last five years, we've given over half a million dollars to charities, um, which is something that we are so, so proud about. We basically do everything in-house. So we design, we manufacture about half of our product in-house still down in Tassie. We've got a marketing team. So we photograph, we do all of our photo shoots, everything like that, um, load everything online. We dispatch and sell in our stores. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a message from our partner, Aussie Industries Entrepreneurs Program. The Entrepreneurs Program can get you from where you are to where you want to be. Our team of independent business experts can help you bring your ideas and innovations to life. We've got the tools and the networks to get you on the way. And you may be eligible for funding to make it happen. To find out how the Entrepreneurs Program can help you take your business to the next level, visit business.gov.au forward slash EP or call 13 28 46. Future Women is dedicated to helping women connect, learn, and lead. There's a price point to suit all budgets or talk to your company about a corporate training membership to advance your professional development. Just head to futurewomen.com. Welcome back to Next Generation Innovators, where my guest today is Hannah Vazicek from Francesca. Now, in doing research to sort of have this interview with you today, I found out that you made a very early decision to not go down the wholesale route. Now, I know the time that you were at in which you made this decision for the business, but it's interesting for me because the offer of guaranteed sales to a startup, and I've been in that position, it's almost irresistible. Mm -hmm. Can you talk me through when that occurred and why you made the decision not to go the wholesale route? Yeah, so it was actually in that in that transitional period between finishing uni and deciding what I wanted to do. So basically I turned down the law position and like you said, I was like, okay, so the next best thing is to just be stocked in boutiques all around Australia. That's going to be easy. People will go to those boutiques, buy my product and things will grow from there. And so that kind of was where my head was thinking. And I did my first trade fair that January. So I set up a Francesca stall up at the trade fair in Sydney and I wrote so many orders. And at this stage, I was making everything. And I came home and I just had this feeling that I should be happy, but I just wasn't. And I'd done a lot of work over that summer around the brand and what the brand to me was. And I knew that I wanted this crisp black and white branding. Also, a lot of our products, it's it's one of those things that if you don't know how to sell the product to anyone else, it would just be like, oh, that's a bracelet. That's nice. But I'd had the last five years direct contact with my customer where I had like 10 to 20 seconds to sell to them. And if that was, if that bracelet was just sitting there, there's no way it would have sold. I actually used to capture their interest. I'd sell the brand story. I'd tell them about the stone that it was made from. I'd tell them it was handmade and that it wouldn't break and they could wear it for years and years. And I realized, oh my gosh, every single person that I sold to at that trade fair 
they're not going to sell the brand like I can. And I just kept on seeing my my product, visioning it in this homeware store, lost amongst every other brand. And I just thought, if I'm going to do this, I've got to go all in and I can't have anyone affect the brand and I have to do it myself. So like in hindsight, it's pretty nuts that I was like, oh yeah, I can open my own store. But I did. I went out and I signed up to this rent. It was $400 a week. It was a store on the outskirts of Hobart City. I worked a two day a week law job to actually pay the rent. So I was like, okay, if I get $400 for my law job, I can pay the rent and do the market so that nothing much is changing, even if I get no sales. I did a branded store, did all of my painting myself. I had paper pom-poms on the walls to cover over the ugly electrical wires that I couldn't afford to get concealed. And honestly, I think it was like three or four days. I went to Freedom, set up my Freedom furniture, and I had my studio above, and I just opened the doors. So that was March 2013, and within 18 months, we had signed a lease in a shopping centre and hustled our way towards a $75,000 fit out that I couldn't afford. And I think the reason why it grew at the start was because, well, firstly, anyone who entered the store, the door closed behind them. And so it was like one-on-one, you're all mine. I'm going to sell to you. And they didn't have a chance. Like I literally just sold the story. I sold them where I wanted to be in the future. And to this day, there's still people who come in and buy from us and they were those first customers who walked through the door. Hannah, I'm getting the distinct impression that I would love to walk into your store because from one person who really enjoys the business story to another, I would love to be pitched at by you. I guess roundabout answer to your question about wholesale, it was something where I knew I wanted complete control over the branding. I wanted control over how things were displayed, if they were put on sale, things like that. So that was a really big one for me. And it's a huge risk, but it's also something that I'm just so glad we did. And look, the incredible thing about it is, Hannah, that there's two distinct things in here. The first is that every individual sale is important and word of word of mouth is important and creating a brand story that is organic and that is natural that goes along and having people become part of the experience that is your brand. But the other thing that I'm hearing in the story, which immediately interests me as a student of risk and risk mitigation, is money. And let's talk money because you've alluded to your fit out that you've mentioned there. And I remember being around your age when you did your fit out, I had a startup the same age. And I distinctly remember talking to banks and having them look at me like I was on fire, like essentially the risky thing to walk into their office that ever existed. Oh, totally. Single with no dependent, uh, with no partner income, young, female, idealistic, sustainability driven. Literally, we could have been on fire the very first times that we had discussions Mm -hmm. with people about lending us money. And I know how this story ends. And for our listeners, Mm. please bestow upon them the amazing story of money and how you were able to secure money for a fit out, how you paid it back and how that paid off for the people that lent you that money, because it's a very important story. So I guess there's a few ways that we funded our growth and you know it was it's only been in the last year that we've actually started to actually be able to breathe because we've had such high growth so i guess from the start 
uh, it was just me putting all of my money into the jewelry. And I'm not joking. I literally used to sell jewelry during the day, close the door, run upstairs and make what I had just sold and put it back down. That's how lean we were because we just didn't have the money to like hold stock. But I guess the first time I basically put all of my money into the fit out and the pieces and just operated day to day. And then it really was a year later that was the first time that I realized that actually I need a little bit more of a leg up here. And this is before the fit out. So what actually happened was I was making a lot of big pieces for a bit more red carpet style sort of crazy designs. And this is when I was less tame than I am now. And I made some beautiful jewelry for an Australian cricketer's wedding. And that got on the news and in some magazines. And I actually got an email from this lady saying, hey, I'm in charge of the Golden Globes gifting suites. Just wondering if you're interested in coming over to Hollywood to showcase your jewelry at the gifting suites. I was like, hell yeah, I'm so down with that. And it's it's actually crazy. Like now that I have a child, I'm like, I cannot believe my parents let me do this. But what happened was I needed $5,000 basically to pay for an airfare and my accommodation and um, to get over there and survive and display my jewelry. And I just didn't have $5,000. It was all in stock. And so this is the first time I did a bit of capital raising. So I actually crowdfunded through possible campaign to go to Hollywood. So it literally was help a Tasmanian grassroots business showcase our jewelry in Hollywood and my existing customers absolutely loved it they gave $50 they got a $50 bracer back it wasn't that they were you know donating but they actually were pre-purchasing all of their jewelry and we raised $5,000 I think in five days and I'm like oh okay well I'm going to Hollywood I must have just been crazy 23 year old January packs two bags worth of jewelry no clothes gets on a plane to Hollywood and literally sets up and sells my pieces to Hollywood's people like I was an international <laughs> jewellery brand. And it was like, fake it till you make to it. To Hollywood's people. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, re- I reflect back to it now and I'm like, what on earth? Like, what was I thinking? So that was my first capital raising. Um, and then it was actually the November following, so um, about 10 months later, that I signed the lease to our dream location, which was in the city, amazing foot traffic. I just signed the lease and then thought I'd make the rest up later. And you can imagine how surprised I was when I found out that a fit out was going to be $75,000. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I applied for a loan through my bank and surprise, surprise, I got knocked back. But what was really amazing was my bank manager she was already a customer and she absolutely believed in me. She came over to the store one day and she was like, okay, sell me the business. Where are you going to be in five years? And she literally took so many notes and I get emotional thinking about it still to this day because that just wasn't, that wasn't in her job description. Like I am so grateful for her. And what she did was she rang the highest people up that she could and sold the story to them. And I couldn't believe it. She rang me one day and she's like, we got it. So she got it approved. I don't know how. I was living out of home and pretty much borrowing money from my boyfriend every week and got the loan. I was going to say what's her name, but I'm not going to ask now just in case she did pull some strings. You know what? It's crazy how things come full 360. So firstly, we opened the doors and we quadrupled revenue the day we opened. What? 
Secondly, I paid the loan back in six weeks. But this is what's even crazier. I think it was about three years on, I was invited to a, a CEO luncheon for the Commonwealth Bank and I, I turned up and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm texting my sister. My sister's in business with me. Um, she became my partner actually, which we can talk about when she finished school. But I texted my sister and I was like, I am the only young person here and the only girl and I sat down at this table and was talking to this guy and saying, I was selling him the, the story of the brand and, and he was like, oh, you know, what do you think about CBA? And I was like, well, this is what happened. And I was like fully talking up my bank manager as if she was the greatest person alive. And then they introduced the CEO of the Commonwealth Bank and the guy stood up and got on stage and the guy the other side of me whispered in my ear telling me how much he gets paid a year and I nearly fell over. But what happened was after my excitement in telling him the story, apparently he walked over to the business centre of the Commonwealth Bank and he asked whoever's in charge of Francesca's business banking, can you please stand up? (gasps) And my bank manager, she's just the most beautiful person in the world, she was like, dying she's never even met the ceo she stood up and he went over to her and he was like you are amazing and this is why we do what we do and he told everyone about what i told him at lunch so yeah oh my god oh Hannah, uh, goosebumps that's the best that is the best and you know, know what there is a spe- i've always said this there is a special place in heaven for women who prop up and support other women when they really need it. That's something that I've absolutely realised and just finding your people. Like I've got a few women in business who I talk to every day and it might just be trivial things but just knowing that you're not the only one with a certain issue or problem or celebration is seriously, it's so special. So let's stick with people who have championed your business and have helped you because our fantastic partner, which is Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program, you are involved with the Entrepreneurs Program. And I'm very interested in both what your first impression of the program was, but also if you can give us a sense of how they've helped you and a bit of a before and after scenario of where the business was at. And then after um, EP, how it's helped transform you or propel you in whatever direction you're going to explain to us. Firstly, I didn't really know about it properly and it was actually me reaching out to someone who works in a business who was a woman and I basically asked her to be my mentor. So we had a few coffee catch-ups and I was telling her about some of our struggles and she was the one that actually mentioned the Entrepreneurs Program because her boss had just gone through it with their business and I was like, this sounds exactly what I need. And so still not really knowing what it fully encompassed, I applied and then got assigned the most amazing advisor and his name was Fritz and he was so patient and he got me in a room and it was the first time that we really did an audit on the business and I think he nearly fell off his chair when he realised we had a semi-big business at this stage and we didn't have simple things like employment contracts in place. (laughs) If we, We need a whole podcast on all of the mistakes that I've made 
really big ones. But yeah, he literally, the poor man, he was just going through all these questions, shaking his head, being like, okay, well, we can definitely help you with this. My beautiful sister, she is the creative mind behind Francesca. I could only take the creative to a certain extent and I have transitioned fully into the business side of things. We didn't even have a shareholders agreement and Fritz was just he was just frightened for me. <laughs> the before and after of this program has been so amazing because I guess the biggest thing that we did get out of it is this audit of what we're doing really well and what we're not doing so well. And so for us, a lot of it was compliance. A lot of it was things that I had just never thought of before, like cybersecurity, a lot of different, I guess, certifications and a massive area, huge, 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 which I'm so grateful for was actually HR. So the EP program really kicked me off in the right direction in terms of actually slowing me down a little bit and actually highlighting how important it is to have those foundations in place. And so what kind of structure does it take as someone involved in EP program? You obviously get, I mean, you got Fritz who sounded like he was exactly the yin to your yang at that point (laughs) um, in terms of um, paperwork and allowing you to focus on what was really important and, and kind of getting the boring stuff done. He also had to follow me up so many times because it's like when you're in that creative industry, you want to release a new collection every week. And he was like, no, you need to have a coffee and just, you know, get back on track. What does that sort of look like in terms of the support that EP gives? Because obviously a lot of the people that listen to our podcast, they either already have a startup that they're working on that might be a side hustle and they're working or it's their full-time gig or they have a kind of a small idea that they're doing some research for and they're looking to cultivate. And I suppose I really would like you to explain what kind of support the EP program gave you and what that looked like. So we know what you got out of it, but kind of how did that work out on a kind of month-to-month basis? So firstly, where it started was just having that person there. As a business owner, it can be really lonely and you can actually kind of, I know I did struggle with not having accountability sometimes. So having someone available to you who is that little bit of an advisor and can put the pressure on you when you need. The second thing was diagnosing for me all of the blind spots that I had within the business. And they weren't answering my question. They they weren't answering the problems. They're not going to come in and absolutely overhaul your business, but they're really going to work with you to highlight the next areas of the business that you really need to put your focus towards to really scale. So for me, a massive part of it was the HR. As I've said, it was legal things like contracts, looking into cybersecurity because we did want to grow. And a lot of it as well was trademark and if we were going to grow in the future, trademarking. And of course, I think other people would be able to, if they had you know, a weakness in marketing, they highlight those things. So for us, it was also really deep diving into our financials. And actually, I really loved how our advisor really got into the detail of things like I had never seen before. And he was someone who, <laughs> actually, this is another really funny moment. He's like, why do you keep getting loans, um, really high interest loans? We were growing so fast and needing capital so fast that we couldn't 
wait for a business loan to be approved through a major bank. So there's a few different places like Muller, Banjo Loans, where basically you can give them access to your zero account and you can have funds if you're a profitable business within 24 hours, but you pay huge interest. And so he was sitting there going, why are you doing this? And I just said, like, it gets on top of me and then I can't operate any further without this assistance. And he was someone who advised me on putting a really robust three-way forecast um, in profit and losses, cash flow forecasting. He helped me realize the need to actually, he kind of said to me, he's like, Hannah, you need to apply for that $200,000 loan now and not in October when it's too late. (laughs) So that was huge for us. And obviously from there, they kind of set you up with this beautiful foundation and suggestions. And then I went off and found all of the different service providers, freelancers, everything like that, that I needed to be able to bring the business up to the next level. There was one other massive thing that was a game changer for us through EP. They had a a man who flew down from Melbourne and he actually did some workshops with us to do with our vision and our three-year goals. And I think this was huge. Wow. Yeah, it's not often that you get in um, a room with your managers and actually dream big. And that was such a game changer for us. So the EP program even did stuff like that, which was just phenomenal. Hannah, we are running out of time, but I have two questions left and I'd like to ask both of them. What do you think is the greatest barrier holding women back from starting their own businesses? I'm very interested in your perspective on that. And then the last question that I always ask everyone that comes on to the show is we ask all our guests, what is one piece of advice that you have for someone that's got a great business idea and is really wanting to take the next step to make it happen? I think number one, the greatest barrier is ourselves. And I think that it's something that we, as women, we inherently doubt ourselves. And I think when you need to go full steam at an idea or something that you're passionate about, you need to have absolute conviction that this is absolutely going to work and this is absolutely your path. So doing that work, like even how I did, you know, I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer because I've looked to see what whether that was actually going to fit in with my ideal. Often we go after something and we never actually do the work to place ourselves there in the future and work out if that's what's going to make us happy. And then you can rewind to now and hold all of that emotion and excitement of us achieving it. And that's what's going to give us the conviction that no matter what someone says, we are absolutely going to achieve it. So the biggest barrier is ourselves and that, I guess, that internal talk as well. Just on that, surrounding yourself with people who absolutely believe in your dream too they're really handy for those days that we just absolutely are a barrier to ourselves so that's number one and then the second piece of advice I've always just said just go for it you don't need to plan everything you don't need a business plan perfected because you're probably going to do a hundred iterations from the day you start implementing things it really is just to get the ball rolling and learning on the way because that's 100% what I did. That business diploma didn't teach me how to run the business. Running the business taught me how to run the business. Yeah. And I think even the shameless girls in our very first episode of season four, they said done is better than perfect was their whole thing. And that's mirrored absolutely in what you're saying. Absolutely. Fake it till you make it. Like I absolutely was in Hollywood. Like, yeah, I'm a massive business back in Australia and I absolutely wasn't. You can fake it till you make it if you know where you're heading. That's right. And if you have faith in yourself, which again is is that barrier that you were talking about. Absolutely. 
Hannah, thank you so much for your time. I'm just in awe of your story. Thank you so much for your time. It's so valuable and so precious. And thanks for talking with our listeners. Thank you so much. And thank you for giving me the time to reflect. It's not often that we do that. And yeah, anyone can reach out to me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I I love chatting business and I love supporting other women. All right. Have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Next Generation Innovators is a future women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you could leave a rating and review as it really helps people find us and make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.